Hi, I'm Dr. Alyssa Watson. And I'm Dr. Beth Mollison. Thanks for joining us in the veterinary break room. These are short conversations where Dr. Beth and I just chat informally about relevant topics in veterinary medicine. And today we are going to be talking a little bit about compensation, specifically kind of focusing on the pro-sal model of compensation. Um, And so before we jump into what all that entails, I was wondering, Dr. Beth, what types of pay structures have you experienced over the course of your career? Yeah, absolutely. I love the conversation of salary because I don't think it gets brought up enough and new grads don't know how to navigate it. So I'm excited to kind of unload some of this. So my experience coming out of vet school, I did start just at a flat salary, which I think is great for new grads because you're, you know, your inefficiency is lower. You're don't know what you're doing. So I think it's nice to have that just base salary. And then ever since that first year, I've so I've been in a corporate practice for about 10 years. Ever since then, I've been on what I would consider like a pro-sal model type. It doesn't, I think, fit all of the definitions of pro-sal, but there's been quarterly bonus structure, essentially. So you have your base pay, which I believe is targeted at around 90% of what you're expected to make for the year. And then beyond that, you it's on a quarterly bonus structure. Um, so what about you, Dr. Alyssa? Have you experienced multiple salary structures? (laughs) I actually have. Um, So coming out of school, I was, uh, I first started on a pro-sal structure at my first job. It was just my boss and myself. And I do think that, you know, that, that this, you know, doing a little homework for this episode today, you know, that model was kind of embraced, you know, several decades ago by a lot of these smaller veterinary hospitals, you know, that have an owner and then associates as a way to kind of encourage the associates to bring money into the practice and to be more invested, you know, in the bottom line, you know, with also this idea that the harder you work, the more you make, which, you know, is good. And some people really, you know, flourish under that and really like it. One of the things I found when I first started was, like you said, as a new graduate, I I really didn't understand that there were different options or that I could negotiate a different option or really all of the, you know, intricacies of how ProSal works. And, And I think beyond that, there's so many variations of it because there's not really a standard definition. You know, like you said, your corporate practice is probably very different, you know, than a small private practice with with an owner and one associate or just a few associates. So I had that and then I had it again and then I had it again. different private practices. And I will say I have always had, you know, what's called negative accrual as well. Okay. Are you interested? Yeah. I'd be curious to hear of your experience with that. If you'll share with us. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll talk a little bit more about how we felt about the different uh, ways we've been paid over the years. Several years ago, um, after I went down to part-time, I then decided to kind of renegotiate that with my employer and I went to a straight salary. Um, So I've been paid straight salary and now doing what I do, um, as many of you know, I do in-home hospice and euthanasia. I'm actually paid per call. And so, uh, you know, there's pros and cons of that too. It works really well for me. I love it, but I could see how the insecurity of not knowing you have, you know, a a steady paycheck would be difficult for, for some people. 
Yeah, absolutely. I, I love that you've gotten to experience multiple of those. You know, I, like I said, have mostly experienced this variety of pro-sal. And just to kind of touch a little bit on kind of what I felt like the pros and cons were, you know, I'm always a little bit hesitant when people outside of the veterinary profession find out you're paid, so to speak, on production. Like I have had on the occasional basis where that has come to light for people that are not on the inner, you know, inner circle. And that always surprises people and I think rubs them the wrong way. But I have always found it to be really a rather kind of good balance, good mixture of what motivates me and what is good for the practice. So I've found that especially on those really busy days where you're ripping your hair out, you at least to feel like, you know, this is not all for naught. I really feel like it helps morale when you're busy. And then of course, just in general, it helps grow the practice, which of course is always a good thing. And I do really think it helps you kind of practice that top tier of medication. I think there are fewer corners cut and things like that. But um, I want to hear from your variety of experiences, what some of your takeaways are. Um, sure. Just before I do that. So when you, in your compensation model, do you mm-hmm. have the, kind of the negative accrual or is that something that your corporate practice does not do? It does not do. Okay. Yeah. So I, all of my practices have all had negative accrual, meaning, so I would have a base salary. And once I produced enough to cover that base salary, then I would get a percentage and it's varied per practice anywhere between 20% and 23% of, you know, the additional production above and beyond my base. However, if I failed to produce enough to cover my base salary, then that would carry over into the next production period. And for me, that has always been calculated monthly. And again, these were just the practices that I worked for. There's all different models. Some do it quarterly, some do it, some do it yearly, you know? Um, And so, but for me, it was always calculated monthly. And then in addition to that, in two of the practices that I worked for, the production was calculated monthly, but we were paid bi-weekly. And so that meant that every six months or so you would get three paychecks. And so then, you know, your production for that month, if you didn't cover three paychecks would set you behind. Yikes. And so, yeah, yeah, it was tough. <laughs> Yikes. Yeah. It was tough to dig out of that hole. And, and that, that was something that always, that I always felt was something difficult to overcome. It affected, you know, my morale. And then I, and then the other thing too is vacation, you know, and there's arguments on both sides. I've heard so many people argue both ways, whether or not when you're on a pro sal model, you truly ever do get paid vacation. Because obviously if you're taking a vacation, you're not there to produce. And if you're not producing, you're not making your bonus. And definitely if you're on negative accrual, I often wonder, is that truly paid vacation or is that just a day off? (laughs) Right. Yeah, absolutely. And I think what you're alluding to is there are, you can base it two different ways. You can base it on the number of days worked. That can be how your, your production works, or it can be days in the pay period. So if you're taking off vacation, some of the days in the period, or heaven forbid, you're on maternity leave for days in the pay period. And then, you know, if you run into the impact of negative accrual, it does seem like someone that is not well-versed in the details of a contract or details of a salary plan works that things could get really 
you know, really different than what you had expected when some of those variables start to factor in. So that is interesting to hear about your experience there. And I think the other thing to really make sure that you know going into one of these compensation plans is have it detailed, spelled out what you can count as your production and what you can't, because that varies from practice to practice as well. You know, do refills on medications count? Do, you know, nail trims or things done by a technician that a doctor was not involved with? Does that count towards your production? And so I think all of these things are negotiable, but it's really important to have them spelled out in detail. Absolutely. And I think kind of one of the things we're dancing around is when you're in a multi-doctor practice and everyone is dealing with their own drive to make sure that they're not running into a negative accrual situation. Have you ever felt like it has impacted competitiveness in the workplace or impacted morale? What's been your experience there? You know, unfortunately, that has been my experience. And it's another reason that the pro-sal model For me personally, I'm happier working under a salary model because it depends so much on factors that are outside your control. It depends on what appointments are booked with you, which sometimes depends on the front staff. It depends on who your colleagues are. And even if you have a wonderful team, sometimes those things change you know, Mm -hmm. and, and losing a doctor and bringing in a new doctor can change that whole team dynamic. And so that is where really open, honest communication, I think is so important. And even though it's uncomfortable to have those conversations, to lay out like, what is your time worth? And talking about things like, okay, if this doctor is on the day the animal comes in and recommends a test and gets the blood, but this doctor is on the day the results come back and has to talk to the owner, how do you handle those things? Because if you don't have those conversations beforehand, that's when I feel like resentment comes in later. Yes, absolutely. And I think I've been blessed with wonderful colleagues in general, but we had, believe it or not, what we used to do was when we had two doctors working every day, We did not have a set schedule. So the pets were not assigned to a doctor. It was just whichever doctor was free. We would kind of try to alternate. Uh, Surprisingly, it did not cause as many issues as looking back, I would have thought it would. But I mean, you know, I think that is a perfect recipe for, for potential competitiveness. And there's nothing worse than low workplace morale. So I could see where a salary would kind of balance all that out. Of course, then maybe you have the opposite issue where you've got work avoidance or something like that. So mm-hmm. I do think, you know, there's I, I think the moral of our story today is going to be there's maybe no one right way to do it. And something that I was really fascinated by, I mean, I guess, obviously, a bias of one and having worked in the same location for the last 10 years, I really thought that ProSal was pretty much the industry standard these days. But there was an AVMA survey, I think it was um, AVMA census that showed that it's roughly split. So between a variety of things, but 35% it looked like of veterinarians were paid on pro-sal and 35% on salary. And then the rest were a combination of various other payment structures. But I was surprised by that. I I really, again, like I said, thought pro-sal was kind of the industry standard these days. 
Yep, I was shocked as well. And so, because again, I it never occurred to me that there were other ways to do things, especially back when I started. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Living in a bubble over here. How do you feel like support staff? That That's one interesting thing too. I know I mentioned what it's like when someone outside of the industry gets uh, the mm-hmm. lowdown on how yep. we're paid. But sometimes right. I feel like it's something I don't really want the staff to be too aware of either. Cause I feel like, again, it's just hard to kind of convey the benefits of it potentially to the practice. And right. sometimes I almost feel like maybe they should be looped into the pro south structure as well and kind of get the whole team on board. But have you ever had any situations where you've had negative feelings there? Um, I, I definitely have had situations where the support staff was not aware that that is how I was paid. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but mostly with that, I think where it's, where it's come up with issues for me is, is if something was, was entered incorrectly. And so because it's obviously very important to me that it's entered correctly into the computer because that's how those things are tracked. Mm-hmm. Um, if your pay and your livelihood doesn't depend on that, I can mm-hmm. see where that's not as important to you. And mm-hmm. that, that had sometimes bred a little bit of frustration from me because I'm like, well, this is so important. But I can also see the other side where if it's not affecting you, you know, or, or I can see, you know, um, maybe some support staff being like, why is she so crazy about this? <laughs> why is she so crazy that this lab test went under her name? Um, right. and, and I don't, and you know, I don't want to be crazy or have to check it or have to, you know, have one more thing on my plate to like have to do that and potentially have it breed some sort of, you know, negative feelings or negative interactions when all I feel like I'm trying to do is just protect my self and get paid for the work I've done. Right, right. Just make sure it all goes off without a hitch as it's supposed to. So yeah, I absolutely can, can identify with what you're feeling there. And I think, you know, along with that too, I think I don't want my staff to feel like I'm making recommendations that would ever be based on the fact that there is some sort of production incentive there. And and I did one again, read an article and and I was very interested to read that. I think it was Mark Opperman and he is involved a lot with management, veterinary management, but he had quoted that even though I know a lot of times we kind of worry about, oh, I bet this makes vets oversell, et cetera, et cetera, that it tends to be the opposite, that vets in general are so afraid of charging too much, so afraid of overburdening their clients that it's rather the opposite. It helps them practice better medicine, protects them from undercharging, protects them from themselves, essentially. And I thought that was a really good point. And I could identify with it. Honestly, I think mm-hmm. we're an empathetic bunch. And I know I go in kind of always as much as I try not to worried about the cost of services for people. And I do mm-hmm. think in some ways it you know, is just that extra incentive to hold you accountable to always be recommending the highest standard of medicine. Yep. Yep. And even support staff, you know, kind of questioning that I question myself sometimes too. Mm -hmm. I'm like, I have to, you know, I never want to feel like I made a recommendation because of the fact that it affected my pay. So, which is another reason I personally like salary. 
because I, I throw that all out the window. I'm like, you know, <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. So, yes, exactly. You don't have um, to justify it to yourself. Yeah, I or don't to have to justify the... it to myself or anything. Um, so, and that's just, you know, it's okay for people to feel differently about things. So one thing that I had recently come across when, when again, kind of looking into the current stats and everything is about raises and this this definitely happened to me too. You know, you kind of get in that mentality when you're on a pro sale structure that as time goes on, as you're more efficient, as you produce more, and as the practice raises prices, that that's kind of giving yourself a raise every year, you know, keeping up with inflation, all of that. And so oftentimes associates that are on this model, the pro sale model, don't ask for a raise in their base salary. And, uh, you know, I think there's danger in that if, you know, like what happened to everyone during, you know, when the pandemic hit or things out of your control, if another practice opens up across the street or you get, you know, another associate and suddenly there is a significant downturn in your production and you have not asked for a raise in your base salary for a decade, you know, <laughs> um, you could be open yourself up to, you know, a little bit of not liability. What's the word I'm looking for? Uh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, I think that might be the right word where you're just, you don't have that protection that you would protection, if you had nature yep. to yeah, advocate for yourself. And I think that's a really good point. I think so many times we think that the pro sale model is just going to correct itself and always, like you said, always help fit with inflation. I mean, I'm lucky enough to work for a corporate practice where they are constantly evaluating prices. So I do feel at least, you know, I, I'm sure there are some practices out there that don't even think to, to raise the cost of their services and goods. So I think those are especially situations where the associate has to be paying extra close attention to, you know, what's going on with their base salary and production. Another good point that you raised that I have run into before is, you know, the practice is growing. That's the goal. That's what you work so hard to do. And then you're teetering on that line where you need another associate, but everyone's about to take a hit with their production because during that transition phase, inevitably, you know, it's going to take a little bit of extra growth to get everyone's production up to where it was before. I think that's another situation where making sure that your base salary is advocated for and that potentially you get a raise to make your base salary what you need it to be to, you know, make sure everything shakes out the way it should be for both you and the practice. So you're right, it is a lot to think about and the raises aren't as straightforward as we think in some of those situations. Mm -hmm. I think one of the things, you know, that brings a lot of this to the forefront is kind of the current, you know, hiring market in veterinary medicine. We're seeing these giant signing bonuses, you know, and I feel like associates have quite a bit more power to negotiate right now than we have had in the past. And so one of the things that I have seen over and over again is associate veterinarians, you know, advising their colleagues not to settle for anything that, especially any pro sale model that includes negative accrual. And I have also advised <laughs> colleagues <laughs> of that because I just know how stressful it can be. And there are, you know, I think there are good ways to still benefit everybody, benefit the practice and benefit the associate, you know, without it. And so I'm wondering if those things might go away in the future. What do you think? <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. I mean, tough goes right now for practice owners, for sure. So our hearts go out to them. But for associates, it is certainly the time to be reevaluating salaries, reevaluating what model you're on. 
because they do they hold all the power i mean we've seen headlines about i just got an email that said like up to $150,000 bonus signing you know that's a whole different conversation <laughs> to be had but i think it just goes to show that the power is really the associates right now and so not being afraid to you know have a lawyer look at your contract to make sure that you feel like you're getting a fair shakedown and especially even you know if you're already with the practice to make sure that you are reevaluating you know not just mm -hmm. accepting things for what they were but continuing to reevaluate things because retaining veterinarians is just as important maybe should be more important than new hires so just kind of embracing that power right now i think is really critical like you said getting rid of all of those stressors now's the time to do that the negative accrual the you know potential vacation situations that we mentioned so it is interesting to think about how that will change in the future again i think it seems like right now we're in the trajectory where things aren't going to be changing anytime soon so it does seem to me that again we really just have the power as associates and it will be interesting to see it play out as the climate potentially changes at some point in the future well, this has been a great conversation. <laughs> it was fun to kind of sit down and go through everything, remember all the different ways I've I've been paid and <laughs> that's right. Trip, trip down there. memory trip lane. Down memory lane. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It's it's fascinating. And I know at least speaking of a personal experience, it's not always the most pleasant topic to try to sit down and hash out compensation. But I think if there's ever a time to do it, it's right now in this climate. So hopefully we serve as a reminder to everyone out there to kind of reevaluate things. But yeah. let's see, I think, Alyssa, it might be time for our win of the week. So do you have anything you wanted to share this week? Any big wins? It, it is time for the win of the week, actually. Um, so my big win is that um, it is the end of the school year. Um, and so we made it summer. through another, yay, we made it through another school year and, and summer is starting and I got like the, the good mom award. Uh, my, my oldest son, we got to school on the second to last day of school and he had forgotten this t-shirt that he was supposed to bring in order to, uh, you know, have everybody in his club sign it Ooh. and he was very upset and I had a full schedule. And I told him that really, there was really probably no way I was going to get back to school to, to get him his t-shirt and his little eyes looked at me and I said, okay, oh. <laughs> and I made it. I was a little late to my first appointment, but we made it and, and I got the mom awards. So mom it was of the worth year. it. <laughs> that is, well, that's good. I'm yes. Mom of the year for sure. That reminds me, this isn't my win. I'll get to that in a second, but, um, my daughter is four and in preschool. I opened her backpack and I saw this thing that said like, oh, it had her handprint and it said, happy Mother's Day. And I was like, oh my gosh, Quinn, did you make this for me? And she goes, that? No, I made that for daddy. <laughs> so that's how my Mother's Day went this year. Gifts were given to daddy. Um, but my win of the week, not to make this too child centric, is I have a one-year-old and as anybody that's listened before knows, I'm obsessed with my docs and Paul. And my one-year-old said his first word this week, and it was Paul. It so was not he, Paul. It was Paul, which my dachshund does not, you know, I feel like usually the first word is data or, you know, that's stereotypically the first word. And 
it's even funnier because my dachshund does not like my husband, does not like Dada. So it felt really even more like a gut punch that our one-year-old can now say Paul, but cannot yet say Dada. But anyway, as Paul's biggest fan, it really warmed my heart that that was his first word. (laughs) That's a great, great story. All right, Dr. Alyssa. Well, like always, it was a pleasure talking to you. Thank you for all of our listeners out there. And we will talk to everyone again soon. Thanks, guys. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Veterinary Breakroom. If you enjoyed today's episode, you can find us wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. While you're there, make sure you subscribe, rate, and review. You can also listen to podcasts on our website at cliniciansbrief.com slash podcasts. Or drop us a line at podcasts at briefmedia.com. Veterinary Breakroom is a brief media production. Produced by Alexis Ussery, with sound by Randall Stupka, and co-hosted by Dr. Alyssa Watson and Dr. Beth Mollison.